until you go out there and you talk with someone who lives there on the ground and is sharing their story and you're you're actually having these conversations that you're gonna have only have when you're in a place for a long enough time to develop a relationship that they're willing to go ahead and be this passionate about sort of educating you about your own country. And and sometimes you have to travel around the world to be happy with what you have in yeah. your own world. You don't you don't yeah. get that being where you're at at the moment. We've been schooled and enlightened a lot as we've traveled. Yeah. Um, and it's made the United States is by no means a perfect country. But that moment in time really made us look at things differently and approach things differently. Welcome to Badass Digital Nomads, where we're pushing the boundaries of remote work and travel all while staying grounded with a little bit of old school philosophy, self-development, and business advice from our guests. Hello, hello. Good day to you wherever you are in the world today. Kristen from Traveling with Kristen here and welcome to episode 131 of Badass Digital Nomads. Today is the second half of a two-part interview with world travelers and YouTubers, Jessica and Will of World Towning. So in case you missed last week's episode, definitely go back and check that out. But you can also enjoy this episode on its own because we're talking about a whole new set of topics. In today's show, Jessica and Will share about what they've learned about American culture and being U.S. citizens after moving abroad and what the uh, locals that they met in other countries actually think about the U.S. They also explained how they decided to choose Costa Rica as their first destination to move to when they went abroad, but then what they didn't necessarily like about it and how things didn't turn out as expected and why they then decided to leave Costa Rica for Ecuador. So we're kind of comparing and contrasting their experiences there, the cost of living, the lifestyle, the locals, and then they're also sharing some of the other mistakes and lessons that they've learned in their first seven years of full-time travel. They also share about what it's been like traveling the world and documenting it on YouTube as a family of four and kind of how to figure out when is the best time for you to go abroad. Should you leave now? Should you wait until your kids are grown up? Should you wait until you're retired? What are some of the pros and cons and trade-offs of traveling early versus later. So definitely lots to think about there in your own life. And then in the lightning round at the end, they share their favorite and least favorite or most overrated countries that they've been to in Europe after traveling to every single country in Europe. They also give their tips on finding Wi-Fi overseas, budget versus luxury travel, and why they keep going back to Morocco. And before we get into it, I would just like to say thank you to my newest patrons from October, Jeffrey Long, Paulo Bento, and Stephen Weeks. You can become a patron for only $5 per month over at patreon.com slash travelingwithkristen. Also, thank you to Isis and IROC from the United States who both left reviews last week on Apple Podcasts. Isis says, quote, You set me free, Kristen. Just happened to come across your podcast this minute, and you have blown my world away. I've been struggling lately at every level, but especially from working with a toxic boss. I felt paralyzed and unsure of what to do next and where to go, but in listening to you, you opened up a whole new world of possibilities. I've always considered myself a gypsy, but have always lived a very non-gypsy life. You have shown me the way. A million thanks. Thank you, Isis, for leaving your kind words and sharing your experience. I feel like a lot of you guys can probably relate to feeling like you have a more nomadic and adventurous soul than perhaps your lifestyle has provided for in the past. And that could be one of the reasons that you listen to the show. If you've been struggling with a quote, toxic boss or toxic job, like Isis says, then check out my podcast, 
on the great resignation, you can just go to badassdigitalnomads.com and search for it in the search bar. A few people have said that they listened to it multiple times to get that motivation for leaving a toxic work environment. And also thanks to IROC who says, this review is past due. This show continues to stay engaging in a genre where things can easily become redundant. Kristen, as a host, allows for the guests and topics to develop naturally while still maintaining a general theme throughout to deliver value. Thank you, IROC. I do try very hard to keep the topics fresh and also with a diverse range of guests. I am really excited for the lineup of guests that we have for 2022, and you can also search for any topics or search by tags over on the Badass Digital Nomads website. I'll also drop a link in the show notes if you would like to request a video or podcast topic. Without further ado, on with part two of my conversation with World Towning. So I love the way, like how this conversation has gone, but I want to give people some background information on, you know, how you got here after seven years. So can you bring us back to what your life was like before you made that decision to move and why you wanted to leave your white picket fence life and then why you decided to go to Costa Rica first? This was, this was a long time in the making. Yeah. We're not an overnight success right right it's not like there was there was a, a moment where it was like that's it i'm selling it all we're i'm out of here you know our, our our journey started off when we were living in los angeles like seven years beforehand and and we had the opportunity through the accounting firm that i was working at to to move to a foreign country as a as a secondant so i was going to be sort of lent from the u.s firm to the spanish firm because they were considering moving us to to, to madrid and and it was going to be like an all expenses paid expat position. The kids' schooling paid for it. It was you know it was it was one of those things that you'd be like, how can you dare say no? Yeah. And you know we were, we we always had like the travel bug in us, but it was it was one of those things that you know we do it on vacation, and we didn't really talk at all in the slightest about what it'd be like to live full time someplace else. And then you came home one day and said, "Would you consider doing this as an expat package?" And I said, sure, when do we leave? Like it was literally a 30 <laughs> second conversation. Right. And and we were we were we already signed on the dotted line and they took us over to to Madrid to go ahead and pick out our apartment and meet with, you know, who the people I would be working with. And she Jessica was pregnant with with our second child at that moment. And we didn't tell them that before. The people in his office knew. I don't, I don't, I never thought it would even be relevant that I was pregnant. Right. I already had one kid, you know, we were willing to go, but that was a big issue. So they didn't want us to be there while she was, it it turned into like a visa issue because they didn't want her visa not to be approved, yet her be in place in, in, in Madrid, even though she could have been on a tourist visa. Because Um, they, because they had been burned by another person, American who had been pregnant there, had the babies skipped out on the contract and went back to the U.S. because they couldn't deal. Because FYI, a lot of a lot of couples break up and get divorced when they go abroad. Yeah. And I don't know what the statistics are, but I know from anecdotal experience and a lot of those expat assignments fail because of the spouse's inability to integrate because they usually don't get any support and they don't have any purpose of being there. They're usually not working. They're just waiting around. You just spoke a hundred percent truth, right? They never said Absolutely. that, okay. but that's what I found out after the fact. And yeah. when they when they when they rescinded the offer, or they said no, they said you could go without me. They said I can go without her, and then she has to give birth to our son, sort of without me there. Mind it, you, at the time I had a three year old, I had a business, and I was pregnant, and they wanted him to go without me, and then come back uh, two weeks before the birth. So who knows if I would have had the baby earlier? Any complication? So managing all of this by myself and a business at the end of the pregnancy. That's such an American company mindset. Like, whereas other countries will give you paternity leave and the U.S. is like, oh, you get two weeks before, just come be there for the birth, pop the kid out and then go back to the other side of the ocean. Like what? But it was a Spanish company. In all all fairness fairness to, to the U.S. firm. 
the way these firms are set up, like each country is its own individual unit. And they all belong to like a franchise type thing. I worked for a large, like a, a big five accounting firm. And like the, the Spanish firm is independent from the American firm, although they carry the same name. And so the, the legal department in Spain was fighting their case why they did not want her to be there. And the legal department oh. in the U.S. was saying... What on earth are you talking about? This, this what you're saying has no has no precedent. Because in the U.S., we think a woman can work and give birth and be back at work That's the next true. day. So they're like, why right. would there be an issue? So you know, That's I think at, at the end, at the end, there's nothing that the U.S. firm could have done to change the Spanish firm's mind to sort of allow this to. to well, they had just been burned like six months before, right? And so there was there was they were hiding in a loophole that was not really there. Long story short, I'm at the firm. I give my notice because I, I've had He's enough. pissed at that point. And then, and then I'm at a, a company function that there was people from all over the country at. And then I find some guy just by, by the random chance. And he said, oh yeah, I was in Madrid and I was there with my wife and she got scared and we left. And I'm like, oh, so it's you. And Will's like, so oh, you're the dick. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. You're the one who so my you're package. the guy. And, and then I just like, you know, I, I just like, said oh that's nice to meet you anyway let's get to the good stuff <laughs> and so and so at the end of the day that that dream of going overseas died at that moment and so we decided to pack things up in, in los angeles we moved to boston and thought okay we're gonna start brand new we're gonna buy a house we're gonna sort of live closer to family we're, we're gonna, gonna buy go a house ahead. we're gonna live in for the rest of our lives that was the idea in a nice suburb even though neither one of us are raised in a suburb but that's what good parents do right they put their kid in a suburb so you went, put your kids in private school, and how long did you live in Boston for? No, we didn't initially put them in private school. We moved to a suburb of uh, seven miles south of Boston, and then they were still little, so they were in preschool. Then they went to the public school there for a year, and then we transferred. Then another, we'll start saying, let's entertain going abroad again through the company. And something came up, it fell through, something came up, it fell through, something came up, and they said, it's probably going to be about six months. So then we said, all right, let's get our act together. So we sold a lot of our stuff, rented out our house, moved into a month-to-month -month apartment in Boston. At that point, we had already transferred the kids to the international school there anyway, because we were unhappy with some things that were happening in the local school system. And we waited the six months, the year, the year and a half, the two years. And then... We, we're, we're tired of having the carrot dangled in front of us saying, and the no, kids are getting it, when, older. When it will happen. It will happen. Don't worry. It's coming. And we just we just got tired of waiting. Well, we thought we, we realized that there's going to be a point where our kids were not excited about going. Now, as far as they knew in life, everyone did this. Everyone went and lived in another country because that's all we had been saying since our son was born. Because oh. we were going to go, going to go, going to go, going to do something. Finally, we said, okay, it's never going to happen with the company. Let's just come to the conclusion, even though they say it's going to keep happening. And some of it was beyond their control. And so I said to Will, why don't, since I have a business, I work from home, why don't I take the kids to Paris for the summer? And that will be the compromise. We won't go live in another country for two years, but we'll go for a summer. And he's like, well, how are you going to work and do the kids? Because in the summer I had, I had help. They would go to my parents for a week, then they'd go to golf camp so that I could work. And where did you work? I worked from home. I had a graphic design business. Okay. So he said, how are you going to do that? And I said, I don't care. I'm going to figure it out. This is something we really want. He said, well, I want to come too, but there's no way I can come with the company. So why don't you go, you know, why don't you go? It was, it was a little bit different than that. Basically, I said, I want to go. He being the accountant said, we can't afford it. I said, you're challenging me. I'm going to afford it. So then I rented our apartment out on Airbnb for most of the summer to pay for it. And then he was like, where am I going to sleep? I'm like, you're going to, maybe you could sleep at a friend's house. And then he was like, well, I want to go too. So then he went to his company and said the situation and said, I want to take a three week vacation in the middle. And normally they don't let him take even three weeks at a time. You know, it's have to be taken individually. And they Long story short, they said, why don't you work from the Paris office hmm. for the summer? And basically what happened was we had it was it was a wonderful but also awful summer in many ways. A lot of things went wrong. We had a really bad apartment. The toilet was always broken. Our daughter ended up being hospitalized with severe mono. Oh my but we gosh. came back and we said. It wasn't that bad. It was, <laughs> you know, you, you never remember the bad parts. And, and at yeah. the end of the day, you know. We, we started to realize that the kids were were flourishing you know they were they were adapting they were our translators the entire time because they were in a french immersion program in in, in a public school system and do your kids speak french and spanish yeah they do yeah they do okay and and so they 
you know, we just saw like it clicked. And and we didn't care about sort of our, our daughter being hospitalized. We, didn't we did. Care. No, no, no. But in terms of like, you know, being scared about it, because it just happened. No, we weren't scared. We've the never hospital been care was fantastic. We've never been scared of medical outside the US. We've always had really good experiences. Right. So we came back from Paris and we were like, okay, if it happens with the company, what if it's two years from now? Our eldest was nine and we're like, maybe by eleven she's not gonna want to go. Maybe by 11, she's going to have a set group of friends and be this is going to be her normal. And this kind of travel thing isn't going to interest her at all. Yeah, the adolescent years where kids yeah. get fixed. And it is it is tough to take a kid in the adolescent years when it's not part of their normal and they've just done a vacation here and there. And we've seen it happen with a lot of people. There are success stories for sure. And there are not success stories. It's much easier to go with them if I, I would say, depending on the child, but at 10 and under to kind of start a lifestyle change. Um, and so we decided we're going to give ourselves 12 months. We're going to sell everything. We're going to figure out how to do medical insurance. We're going to figure out how to homeschool. We're going to figure out visas. And we left 13 months later. So it, it worked, you know, it really, it worked out. I mean, the plan, you know, the plan, the initial plan was a two-year expat package. Then it became, well, we'll compromise and just maybe do summers. And that, you know, that was almost seven years ago. So when we started, you know, our life to go to Costa Rica, Will and I did everything in our planning process as if we were going and never coming back. We're going to okay. go... I mean, we'd come back for visits, but we really wanted to make this a lifestyle change. But as you know, when you're first starting out, we thought we wanted to make this a lifestyle change. But now seven years in, we really didn't know what we were getting into, mm -hmm. you know, but we we there were parts of us that thought, well, maybe we won't like it or kids won't like it. But we planned and behaved as if it was forever. And that was, I think, a really good thing because we we had a mindset that we're going to make this work because we truly, even though we don't have the experience and we don't know what it's like, we believe it's the right thing. Plus, when you sell your things for like you know, pennies on a dollar, the last thing you want to do is come back and buy it all back. And, and Exactly. That's all. So what, just quick question on healthcare, because people always ask, what are you doing for your international health insurance right now for your family? Are you paying any U.S. at all? Or do you just have an international catastrophic plan or what's your setup? Do you want to talk about the we plan? We use uh, IMG Global. Okay. And it covers us in the U.S., but we can't be in the U.S. year-round. Is it like a 30-day limit or something It's a six-month like limit, actually. So oh, it's, that's it's, it's, good. Yeah, it's pretty good. And then we can always sort of get a supplemental if we have to stay longer. Is it less than the U.S., I guess, ACA? We pay about four grand a year for the four of us. Hmm. But it, it's a huge deductible. Mm -hmm. So we have a 5000 You can choose your deductible, but we have a $5,000 deductible, which means basically every year we're paying, you know, I would say on average, depending if it's a healthy year, I mean, one year I had to have, have surgery on my spine. So we ate up the whole 5000 we had to pay out. But I would say on average, it's what, 500 a year, you Ar think? Around there. That we pay out of pocket because we have to pay out of the insurance is really to cover us for anything serious or like, you know, um, something chronic cancer, some major broken bones, hospitalizations that have a bill that extend over five grand. So we pay all out of off our office visits, um, you know, my annual female visits, that kind of stuff out of pocket. But it's like it's, dental cleanings and stuff like that we pay for. It. It's considerably less than what it would be in the U.S. We almost see ourselves as not having insurance because we have a $5,000 deductible. So it's there to protect us and our children for anything that's serious, but anything that's routine stuff, we pay out of pocket. And we've had that same insurance for our entire seven years of traveling, but we had a lower deductible when we first started out. I did the same thing. I would just pay out of pocket like $30 here, $50 here for a consultation or a checkup or whatever. And even if I had to get an x-ray or something, like it usually wasn't that much, but if it was anything more than a few hundred dollars, I would go and make a claim with my insurance. But if it was, you know, a dental cleaning in Thailand or Bulgaria or something, I would just pay for it out of pocket and go about my life. So, okay. well, People that's... don't understand how, how inexpensive it is. I've had, because I have spine issues, I've had MRIs in probably five or six different countries and they range from 100 to 150 US dollars. I've had CT scans, which are about, how much are the CT scans? About the same. About the same. 
I mean, I don't, I think there are hundreds, if not thousands dolls in the U.S. I don't know. I never did not, I didn't, I never paid out of pocket in the U.S. because I always had insurance with like a, you know, 20 or $30 copay. Yeah. But I, we've been very pleased with the medical care. We haven't had, we've had, and we've had a lot of different things done over the years, you know, and, and, and we've just been very pleased with any care that we've gotten. Okay. Awesome. Well, I'm curious about your time in Costa Rica because I also have a video that's about why I left Costa Rica and it kind of lists all of the things that causes foreigners to leave. And I know that you have this idea of doing a year in each place and you've done You've learned how to sail. You've spent a lot of time in RVs. You've traveled all around Europe. You want to go to all of these different countries. You've been to Morocco and Ukraine and uh, Turkey and all over. But did you plan to stay in Costa Rica longer? And how was your time there compared to what your expectation was? We signed an, a one-year lease at a location site and scene, essentially. Um, we saw it on Airbnb and said, okay, we'll live there. And, and, Where and, was this? It was just outside of San Jose. Okay. The reason why we chose it is because um, we were in, we, we had our, our son was in the French program, uh, learning French still. Our daughter was, was already transitioning to homeschooling by the time we went to Costa Rica, but we kept our son in, in a traditional school and we wanted to keep him in, in the French language program. Until so that age we, 10. So he can sort of develop the language further. And the only school that, that satisfied that was the, the school that all the French, French expats went to. And that happened to be only the one school in, in the capital in San Jose. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as much as all the Americans go to like the beach and, you know, they go in Tamarindo, wherever, wherever they go. We were in the middle of the grind in the middle of the capital. And I mean, we were we were a little bit outside the capital. So we were more of like a suburb. Which neighborhood or which suburb? Curry Debat. Okay. Yeah. My ex-boyfriend used to live there. Oh, so you know it? Oh my gosh. That's so weird. No one ever knows it. It's on the east side of the city. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so it was, it was all locals, which was really a great experience for us. So we did not particularly enjoy Costa Rica and we can look back on it now and say it wasn't Costa Rica's fault. There are some things that I didn't like about it. Like it was, it did not feel culturally rich because there were so many expats there. It often felt like a mini US and we wanted a deeper, rich culture. And that's why when we left, we chose um, Ecuador. You've got to watch my video. <laughs> You're going to resonate with everything. There's eight things on there. I put two of your videos now. I'm like going to go watch before I fall asleep tonight. Um it was a really hard transition for us. So I look back on it now and I don't necessarily blame Costa Rica, but there were still things I didn't like about living there. And I wouldn't I like them even less now, now that we've been out here longer. We're actually debating between Guatemala and Costa Rica as our initial. And we changed at the last minute. Those would be so different. Right. And everyone, well, everyone, listen to me. Those people who had our best interest in mind, who knew nothing we're saying, oh my God, don't, don't go to go Guatemala. There. It, you know, murder capital. You know, you're gonna you're gonna get beheaded. Yada yada yada. And we got cold. And feet. we're just like, all right, fine, we'll go to Costa Rica then. Who cares? And then we wound up going up there. And and quite frankly, I think we would have still had major transition issues in Guatemala as well because in general, it, yeah, because it is it is you know you're morphing into a different person and I think the entire too, time. So you, you have to go through that, those growing pains regardless of where you are. Yeah. But we, we, Will and I are notorious for biting off more than we can chew, even to this day, to this day. We do not learn from this ever. And maybe, <laughs> maybe it's our superpower. I don't know. But when we moved to Costa Rica, we didn't just move to Costa Rica. We moved to Costa Rica and we decided to start homeschooling one kid, which we had never done before and had done some educating on, but still were completely new to it. He left his corporate job He had never been unemployed before, and it was very difficult to work with him. You know, he was antsy. Just just say it like I'm just going to say it out. There you go. You know, I was not very sympathetic. I'm going to be honest. I was used to working from home alone, everyone gone. I could be really productive. Now, all of a sudden, he's here sitting at the table. That's her adjustment. Tapping his feet, (laughs) his fingers, singing. I'm like, quiet. I need to work. She's learning the homeschool thing. None of us speak Spanish except for him. So he's like he's like the translator, but he's like translating at the gynecologist and he's translating at this. And he's just like, he's just like, oh my God, I have no identity what's going on in life. You know, we bought a car a mile down the road. It broke down. Luckily, the guy was very kind, came back, fixed it. I convinced all my clients there was going to be 
absolutely no transition. Most of them were already remote. You know, they were in Los Angeles and they yeah. were used to this. I got there like three weeks later. My computer broke. There was no Apple store. It took the store there a month to fix. Everything went wrong that had nothing to do with Costa Rica. But initially, Costa Rica got blamed. Now, after, you know, acclimating, taking us about six months to adjust, we warmed up. We never fully warmed up 110%. There were just things that just were not were not a good fit for us. I do think it was a good first stop for us because although we were well vacationed, we had not traveled besides that summer in Paris. And I know that's more than most people, but we had a lot of things to work through. And I think if we had just hopped on a plane and headed to India, we might've lost our marbles. He knew the language, which means at least the family could understand things. We recognized things, even though we never went to McDonald's, it was quite comforting to be in another country and recognize McDonald's. Now we don't care. But back then, it was the little bits that we needed to make us able to survive. So I'm on one hand, I didn't love our I didn't love Costa Rica. I loved our friends and the people we met. And I loved how it enabled us to still stay out here and not freak out and run home. Mm -hmm. We chose it, like we said, as a default. And it was it was a mild cultural transition. And I think that's what we needed at the time. But when we but the reason why we left is essentially because we felt like there was a lot more to be had. You know, like anything else, you know, you, you get a scratch and sniff of what sort of life is like when you when you leave your comfort zone. And then we wanted more at that point. Yeah. You know, we, we'd done some exploring and, and we, you know, we, we'd done, we did some adventure eco travel while we were in Costa Rica. And it was cool, but it wasn't, you know, it, it was it was culture mild because it was it was you know as western as you can get and and it wasn't really that that are we that saying unique. things that are in your video um some but i go i go far i kind of blame it more on costa rica <laughs> i guess you could say <laughs> well <laughs> there's a, i mean that's a big part of it part of it is the perception right so i talk about that the expectations but part of it is the reality that gets whitewashed by other tourism boards and expats I agree with you on that because everyone thinks it's all eco-friendly and that it's healthy eating and it's this and it's that. And it's not. That's just what they present to the tourists. Yeah. Right. And those resorts may be like that, but the whole country is not like that. Now, to be completely frank, if we did not have a lease and have a kid in school, I would have been gone after six months. We don't know mm -hmm. about that. Hold on. Wait, 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 Will would have stayed wait. then. I, I would have stayed. Well, we, listen, <laughs> we, we get like we bite. We always bite off more than we can chew, but we also get lucky really often and one of the things that we got lucky on is like the first week that we were there oh, this is amazing we yeah. went to a you know normal saturday market buying fruits and vegetables and everything else and there happened to be a camp not a camp a troop of like of girls doing traditional um uh, guanacaste dancing yeah and, and so our daughter was around the same age as most of these girls and she, she was said 10. i would love to be able to do that she didn't speak a word of Spanish, but I was able to go to the organizer saying, listen, my daughter doesn't speak any Spanish. She'd love to sort of become involved. Is this even possible? Or is this like something that people have been training since birth for? Or, and she's like, yeah, if she wants to dance, dance is bring a universal her over. language. And, yeah. it was, it, and, and we made an instant connection right there with the local culture because we had to sort of yeah. inroads into a traditional type of dance that our daughter who just came in you know five steps off the runway <laughs> was able to jump in on without sort of any prior planning and this, we just got lucky so we had instant friends and family and on the weekends not every weekend but on the weekends we would travel to festivals together on the bus and you know it's not the american culture it's a latin culture and the families went on the bus you know, with the kids to these things. So, and I am terrible with hair. Like this, I wake up and this is what it does. I don't curl it, blow dry it, anything. I, and I hate doing hair. Same. And these girls were all, the hair done perfect, the makeup done perfect. And the other moms took Avalon under her wing and they, I said, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, and they're like, oh, you know, we'll help you. Yeah. And it was just a really lovely, lovely experience for us. And we had this instant family and these instant friends. And, you know, obviously even little brother Largo loved it. All the older girls, you know, he was six or something. And, you know, it was really a magical thing for all of us. And, and frankly, I think it was the thing that saved us. And I think I said I'd be out of there after six months, but I think. Now that you say this and you bring that up, I don't think I would have risked losing that because everyone got such great joy out of it. 
However, the plan was only to stay a year. Mm -hmm. The original plan when we started traveling was we'll spend a year at a time in a country and kind of continue that way. And we did that. We did that for the first year in Costa Rica. And that, that was the only place we spent 12 months. And then in Ecuador, we spent nine months. And then the south of France, we spent 10 months. And then we bought the RV after that. And then the boat after that. So it's it's somewhat evolved. And the um, only reason why we went to Ecuador is because we realized how expensive Costa Rica is. We're, and we realized that, you know, you have to be able to be able to do this substantially for less. So... And we reduced our expenses by like 75%. We had two kids in private school. We had an apartment in Boston. But still, we still thought, Will being the accountant, he's like, I want more. So when we chose Ecuador. You probably cut it in half going from Costa Rica to Ecuador. We cut it down quite a bit. Quite it? a bit. Quite a bit. Like, I think we, we, we definitely cut down like a lot of the dining costs and so forth and so on. Our, our, our residence cost was about the same because we kind of upgraded our residence and not because we want to just because it's it had the same to be price as a two where, where the yeah. school was located so you yeah. know our our limitation of where our perimeter had to be was by where, where our son's school is going to be because our as will said earlier that we kept him in french schools until age 10 so we would have preferred to maybe live in the uh, old town which was more authentic and historical but we ended up in the more the, in in the, the the capital but also in the more developed area of the of the city because it was close to the school. So we're in uh, in Ecuador. Were you in Guayaquil? We were in Quito. Oh, Quito. Okay. So it probably would have been half the expenses if we hadn't been in Quito. Yeah. And so and the reason I think I, you asked us so a while. I think you don't know if it was with this question or with a previous one, but I think it is. I think we didn't bring it up, and it probably is something that your your listeners and you might want to know that why why are we doing this? Why why did we leave to go do all of this? And it has always been Will and I love to travel. Obviously, you can see from talking to us, we will continue even after the kids are gone and go to university. But the main reason why we started this and our why is because of our kids. We wanted Mm -hmm. to have a deeper connection as a family and more time with them. And we wanted to educate them in the world. And we wanted to have memories and experiences over buying stuff. And that's that's it in a nutshell. And anytime we come to any really when we come to a point where we have to make a big decision and we're not sure what road we should choose we always kind of circle back to our why. Is this going to give us what we started out for? You know, richer cultural experiences or just experiences in general over buying stuff, connecting as a family and educated them, educating them out in the world. And that's kind of what we everything kind of comes back to when we make big decisions. I want to talk before we sign off a bit about your children and how they have adjusted to this lifestyle of full-time travel because we have a lot of parents listening in. But first, I wanted to ask about, can you explain to people what is the concept of world towning? What are you trying to accomplish by creating this this movement and sharing your lives so publicly? It started out just as a philosophy of creating many hometowns around the world. That there is so much joy and value in not just staying in necessarily one hometown for a lifetime, but going into these countries and living in a country and immersing yourself into the culture and not just the expat culture from your home country, but the local culture. And that's what we did religiously for the first three years. We have we have friends who were born and raised in Costa Rica, friends born and raised in Ecuador, friends born and raised in France. And that contributed so much joy and richness to our lives are individually as a family and the kids, their education, their friends, their global mindset, everything. Because you you have you have to go into it and be committed because there's always going to be people scratching at you telling you you shouldn't do it or what's wrong with it or you know all that yada 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 of of, of the negative aspect of it and not focusing on the 90% that is really amazing. So anyway, yeah. so but, we, but it's interesting because because there was if you want to sort of pinpoint a moment in my mind where I realized that this was truly necessary is when we were in, we had the most profound conversation with, with the guy in, in, in Ecuador, the yoga teacher yoga guy, guy, the yeah. yoga guy. <laughs> and, and we were having discussions about sort of raising kids and, you know, he had kids our son's age because they were in the same classroom together at the, the French immersion school. 
and and he was saying, listen, that you know, we were we were commenting about sort of the state of affairs in the U.S. and we we're like, you know, we don't like this, but we like that, and da 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 da. You know, you always have something you, you know, know that you, you always want improved. And when you first leave way. the U.S., you have a lot of complaints about things. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I don't, you know what I'm saying? You're like, this sucks and that sucks, and I've been enlightened and I found the 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 path to the promised land. You know. And, and and so and he and he was very quick to correct us and goes, listen, yeah, you may want to go ahead and 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 bag on the U.S. all you want because you've had because because you can because you're entitled to because you're from there and you always want to see things better in your home country and that's great. However, us being from Ecuador and us having sort of the limited resources that we have compared to you guys. Never, ever, ever take for granted where you are, where you come from, because you could put two kids next to each other. One would be from country A, the other would be from the United States. This is what he explained to us. The guy from country A could be from a developed country or underdeveloped country, whatever the case may be. The guy from the United States will always, for the most part, excel in his lifetime because he has this mindset that he can do anything in his life. Mm-hmm. It's part of the culture. We've been told we can do anything. Yeah, right. that's and, true. And, Which is one of the wonderful things about the culture. And, I, I like that about it, that we feel we can do anything. We and, wouldn't be out here if we, you know. Right. Yeah. And, and he said that, you know, the child from the, the other country, country B, will feel that they cannot do as much as a person from the United States does. Now, I, I, I guess you can take the United States and insert it for UK or any sort of majorly yeah. developed country. But, but you know, there it really is a mindset difference that exists in just the way you're raised. And and that blew us away in terms of... It of, blew us away. Because yeah. not only did we, did we not understand, but we didn't really appreciate what we were seeing until that moment. You know, until you go out there and you talk with someone who lives there on the ground and is sharing their story and you're you're actually having these conversations that you can have only have when you're in a place for a long enough time to develop a relationship that they're willing to go ahead and be this passionate about sort of educating you about your own sort of country. That you know as much as you want things to be better, be happy with what you have. And and sometimes you have to travel around the world to be happy with what you have in yeah. your own world. And and it just, you know, you don't you don't yeah. get that sort of being complacent, being where you're at at the moment. There's been a lot of we've been schooled and enlightened a lot from as we've traveled. And at the end of the day, it's always about the people, right? They're they're the, the people you meet along the way are the ones who bring the joy and all this amazing things to your life that you hadn't necessarily looked at before you had taken for granted you had judged you had criticized whatever the case may be Um, and it's made the united states is by no means a perfect country but that moment in time really made us look at things differently and approach things differently and i think a lot of it had to do with the fact that we were novice we were new travelers you know and we're saying something today or tomorrow or next week that in five years we're going to look back and go oh my god i can't believe we said that we just didn't know we hadn't had that experience or that exposure yet these are all things that we share with the people we interact with and we 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 don't share it from a i'm enlightened you're not enlightened aspect because we don't we don't necessarily believe that we believe enlightenment and wisdom comes from all ages all generations all cultures everything you don't have to just be 80 and whatnot and then but we had people that were reaching out to us saying i don't want to be a full-time traveler but i want to go on a vacation like how you travel and will you create group trips and Will and I talked about it for five minutes. We were both like, hell no, mm-hmm. no way. And now we're going to get someone who's complaining about the pillows or, you know, saying, why isn't it like the U.S. or why isn't it like, you know, U.K. And we're going to want to strangle them. But a lot of people kept asking. and We thought, well, this is kind of part of our our duty in the sense of if we're out here trying to get more people out here and share and show what a great place the world is, why don't we host them too? Because they may be, it's going to open up going on a trip like that, even if it's not full-time travel, it's still going to open up someone's mind, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what we want to do. We want to expose them to other people and other cultures. So they realize at the end of the day, we're all the same. It, it's it's the reality of it is. And we said we'll yeah. do it once. And if we hate it, well, then we don't do it again. That's exactly what we said. We said we won't open registration to a, to a second trip until the first one is complete. And we know if we like it. Yeah. And we loved it. And it went fabulous. And we have not had another one since because of COVID. So we had to cancel all of them last year. And that was in Morocco, your first one? That was in Morocco in 2019. Okay. And now we've just, now we've got our first trip to Morocco, ironically, um, our first trip 
you know, after the, the heaviness of the of the COVID, I don't want to say that post COVID because it is still here in October. And then we have a trip to the Galapagos in January. And then we haven't launched the rest of the trips for 2020 yet. So I've been wanting to do retreats since before I ever launched traveling with Kristen, but it just hasn't worked yet. But it's, it's coming, you guys, eventually people have been asking me about that, too. It, it seems really fun. Oh, you should do it. It's really, I mean, I'm going to say, I guess it's not for everyone. Um, and after the 14 days, we were exhausted. But to this day, we still have our WhatsApp group with the whole yeah. group. I've been on a lot of group retreats and it's always so fun. I've done it in Costa Rica and um, my friends have hosted them in Bali and Peru. And it is really fun. So I want to make a note on something that you said earlier. Oh, just about being appreciative of where you come from. Even though I have that video highlighting some of the negatives of the U.S., I definitely can't discount just being born onto basically a country that is the leader of the free world and being yeah. born into the number one team. There's like this air of opportunity and even superiority that is embedded into our country's identity. And so, yes, a lot of people are born in, into countries where they're like they perceive themselves as underdogs with less opportunity in a lot of ways. And I wrote down when you were talking, it made me think of something when I was in college and I took a trip with my friend from Australia to Fiji and we met this family. We were on an island, off an island, off an island, and a storm came and we got stranded on this island. <laughs> and these local people like let us hang out in their house. And we were drinking kava and drinking tea. And it was this mud house on top of a hill with no electricity. And it's just candlelight. And I was thinking in my very first years of traveling, there's no way that these people have the same opportunities that I had. Like I grew up thinking that you can be anything and do anything and go anywhere. And these people didn't speak English. They're living with no electricity and a mud house. And that was my first like really eye-opening experience. And somehow we still communicated. I don't know how there's like that parallel universe where you can still communicate even if you don't speak the same language. Yeah. And that was my really first glimpse because before that I had only been to Italy where you don't really see abject poverty. Right. And then in Costa Rica, I had a lot of wake up calls there for sure. But going to Asia and the South Pacific, you definitely see a lot more. And then I've also had these flashes of seeing people with a lot of privilege and being happy that I was on a different path, like yeah. seeing all of the yachts in Monaco and in Nice, which you've probably seen sailing around there. Yes. I want to be as far as possible away from those. <laughs> being, Of course, it's cool to go on a yacht or whatever, but to live in that bubble and to really be so isolated from the real world, it, it must be sad in a way. <laughs> like I have friends that work on boats and the the owners of the boats fly in on their helicopter and then oh, they yeah. fly out. And it's like, you never really get into the, the, the vibe of the lifestyle there. And also when I was in Bali, when Julia Roberts was filming Eat, Pray, Love. Oh yeah. And I was having the best time of my life. I have never felt so free just riding around the island on mopeds and surfing and like drinking juices and eating $1 nasi goreng. And my friend was Julia Roberts' nanny. And I kept running into them everywhere because they were filming in Ubud and in the Bukit. And they were staying in these big houses and there was this big crew and it was like going to the market in Ubud versus the next day when they were filming there and it was like all the cameras and everything. And I really felt, I felt bad for her in a way because I was like, I'm having this amazing time in Bali. And yet this crew, they're like totally stressed out because they're there for work. And then Julia Roberts is just in the middle of a thousand people yeah. that are like her assistants and the hair and makeup and and, and and I just thought, wow, it must be a really different experience to be a celebrity in Bali versus being like a 22 year old on a moped, like just doing whatever I want. So there is all of these things that you start to see that each person, when they travel, they're going to have different observations. Yeah. And, um, that's why I also encourage people, if you have that urge to document, to document, but to also be aware of when the documentation of the journey is taking you out of the present moment versus when you 
are going into the present moment more because you're looking for those shots. You're looking for the light filtering through the leaves on the tree or whatever. You're looking for the buildings. Like sometimes it can bring you more present and sometimes it can take you away. But I don't know. That's that's definitely a challenge. And there are times where we just say, we're not filming this. It could be great, but we just want to be in this moment with our children. Mm -hmm. You know, we produce one vlog a week. And so even though it appears from a vlog that the camera's on 24-7 because that's the way it's edited, it's not on 24-7. But we do, we we are always conscious of being able to enjoy those moments that are never going to happen again. And not, if we're going to film them, not overfilm them. Because there's no point in overfilming them. You're not going to use all the footage anyway. Right. You know, because you don't want to not be present. He, Will does, I mean, Will does most of the filming, but I think he does a really good job of being present for sure and filming. But we still, there are times where we just don't pick up the camera. But, but like, there's also not been, a film moment. there's also been times where, we, we're so wrapped up in our lives and we don't have we don't have anything planned as far as that would be shareable content. And we're like, we got to we got to share something. And so, you know, we'll actually purposely go out and do an adventure so we can so we can record the adventure. And yeah. then and then we're better off because we've done the adventure. Right. So so there, you know, it, right. it definitely there, is. Right. It's a double edged sword. There are times there. where yeah. there's things that we wouldn't have done. And we're, they, we've been really glad that we've done them for whatever reason. Maybe we're maybe we were too tired and we're like, oh, some, sometimes the best experiences come out of we're too tired. We don't want to go. But we went, you know, or when you're filming, when things are going wrong, those are the best <laughs> when you don't feel like. Well, filming. it's funny. Four things went wrong with water on our boat in one day and we're at the dock. So it's nothing serious. And I said to Will, I don't know why we didn't film that. This is hilarious that these four things happened. And he's like, but remember that day we were just in our heads. We had all these other things going on. We had a deadline. I'm like, you're right. Well, so you, you never knew how, film the, at all, you never you know? knew how the day was going to end up. So you, like one thing happens like, oh. Yeah, you're like, I'm not going to set up the camera. Right. Yeah. The other thing is like, like that could have been something and something else going, oh, look, I just missed this entire day, you know, and, that, and that's cool because I had time to pick up the mess that got created. But <laughs> there was like six hours of cleaning up water after that. Right, right, right. So, you know, whatever. That's I know life. we didn't even get into the how you learned how to sail in the RV. But before we go, how have your kids adapted to this lifestyle? Have they embraced it? Do you feel like they're going to hate you someday because they had no stability or are they, you know, going force with this? And, and then also how are they handling it? Like basically growing up on YouTube while traveling at the same time. They don't even know it. They don't even watch it. But they, our philosophy with the YouTube channel has always been that we will never force them to do anything. We're not going to make them comb their hair or dress up in matching clothing. We did do that once with the orange robes. I begged them. I'm like, please, I got us these orange robes. Can we all wear them together? But uh, joking aside, we don't force them to do anything. And therefore, they like YouTube. Now, they, they don't, they're not like, they don't want to be like, film me, film me. I want to be on all the time. They're when they want to be filmed, we film them. And if there's those, there's very rare moments they don't want to be on camera. But if they don't want to be on, then we won't put them on. This is something we chose to do. And luckily, they like it and they want to be part of the YouTube channel. Um, but it wasn't, it was the YouTube channel was not their dream. So if they decide, even if they decided today, I never want to be in another video, then we would say, okay, you don't have to be. Yeah. Um, and I think because we've given them the liberty to either be in it or not, they like it. They don't have any complaints. They know that when they say I'm tired or I'm grumpy or I don't want to be on it or whatever, we'll say, okay, fine. We won't film you. And we, we honor that. And I think that's worked really well to kind of segue into this. That's worked really well for us traveling with them as well. We obviously, like I said earlier, we wanted this to be a complete lifestyle that we would do forever, but we always kept that small little piece in the back between Will and I, agreed on this 100% that if the kids didn't like it or a kid didn't like it, we wouldn't necessarily completely stop 100% if the other three people liked it. But we would come up with a compromise, which would mean summers only, six months on, six months off, a year on, a year off, whatever whatever worked, that we would never, ever force them to be out here doing this if they didn't like it. And it has served us very, very well. I mean, they love to travel. And, and there, there's never been any complaints. The only complaint has been Avalon wanted to try out going back to traditional school when we lived in France for a year after two years of homeschooling. And she's, it was her choice. We didn't want her to, but we didn't voice our opinion because we wanted her to have the freedom to choose. 
after, if you ask her today, she say, if mom and dad made me go back to a traditional school, I would not want to travel anymore. She does not want to be in a traditional school. And he, after seeing what she went through after two years homeschooling, going back, she, he doesn't want to have anything to do with it either. Um, but it might have could have been the French system and the bureaucracy of it. Where is she going? She's going to college soon, right? She's no, she's going to be a senior in high school next year. Okay. So we have a year and a half with her still. So has she decided that if she's going to go to like a traditional university somewhere? She wants, both kids want to go to the, want to go to university in the United States. Okay. And she wants to go traditional routes and her stipulations are, it has to be, she's, she's pretty precise on what she wants. It has to be big city with lots of culture and diversity because she cannot she cannot go someplace that doesn't have that. She doesn't want to go someplace that's all white and only has Italian food. Mm. Not that she has anything against all white or Italian food, but <laughs> she's been used to growing up with diversity and culture and lots of things happening around her from that come from all over the world, and she knows she wants that in a university. Another thing, because I think this is really in, important for listeners to hear, that we gave our kids the opportunity to have a voice in how we travel as soon as we felt they were old enough to understand it. So when we, after a year in Costa Rica, a year in Ecuador, we wanted to move to Europe and we let them choose the country. Mm. Now we did not give them 50 countries. We gave them two. Okay. We gave them France and Spain and we put them separately and asked them to do some research and which one they wanted to go to. That's a good strategy. It worked because they, you know, that, I mean, what's the, what's the issue with most teens? They don't feel heard. They don't feel like they have a voice. They don't feel like they have any control over their life. They feel like their parents are controlling it. So we gave them a voice and we wanted Spain. They picked France. We said, okay, we're fine with France. Then we gave them two. We gave them a city and a smaller town to pick from. And they both, thank God, they both picked the same one. They both picked the same one, which was not the one we wanted. We wanted the bigger city. We lost them both. We lost them both. Where did they choose? They chose they chose Yer, which is a smaller area near Toulon. Just it's about an hour west of nice. and fifteen minutes east of Marseille. Okay, and Montpellier is on the other side west of Marseille, and that's where you wanted. Yeah. That's what we wanted, but we were. Listen, I mean, we have a lifetime. We weren't like passionate about we want this we just had what we between us what we wanted they both got a voice they both felt empowered we were quite happy where we ended up there was no you know we weren't angry upset and since we started traveling we started looking at rvs two years before we even started full-time traveling they had always wanted to travel in an rv and an rv is like every kid's dream and every parent's nightmare Mm -hmm. i was like i'll go in the rv but i'm not gonna like it like that just sounds awful to me I mean, I didn't really voice it that passionately in front of them, but I did to Will. I was like, I don't really want to do this, but I'll do that. Let's give it a voice. If it doesn't work out, then we just, it doesn't work out. It was magical. They got to go in the RV. It was a magical time. They were, they were tweens. So they were preteen. Our daughter became a teenager, right? In the RV. So they were still like wanted to be around us all the time and were, were snuggly and didn't want as much privacy and all this stuff. It was beautiful and magical. But the point is, we gave them a voice in that situation and we have regular check-ins about, are you liking this still? Do you want to make a change? COVID, now if we're going to talk about COVID for a minute, COVID was really tough on them. Yeah. As any other teenager, as yeah. any other adult, they miss social, they miss people, they're used to having social. There was really not much we could do about it. We threw out options like we could go back to the US if you want for a year. No, because we're just going to sit at home like everyone else. Why would we want to do that? You know, so we came up with some things like more Zoom calls with friends and creating some more clubs online. But we were in lockdown, you know, like everyone else here. So we couldn't see our friends that much. And it was really a struggle. But anyway, long story short. But you've you've been to every country in Europe, right? Yes. Did I read that about you? And was that in the RV mostly? Every country in in the RV with the exception of... Iceland was something the kids and I went to years ago. So we didn't make it to Iceland. We didn't we didn't take the RV to Malta or to Cyprus. We flew there. We flew there. Right. Okay. We flew those countries. Um, What would you say to parents that they're waiting for their kids to grow up and go to college so that they can travel? What is the argument for traveling with them before they graduate high school? I mean, the first step would be, what do you want as a parent? Do you want to travel with your kids? Hmm. Do you want to be with your kids 24-7? And, and there's nothing wrong with the, if you don't want to. But that's the first thing you kind of have to tackle. Do you want this? Because once you make the decision to do it, you're with them all the time, unless you put them into local schools or whatnot. So I think that's the first step in, in, in the process. Would you agree with that? Yeah, 
and and the other the other thing is is essentially this is the one thing that we we ran into a lot when we were in the RV is that when we were in the RV and we ran into a lot of retired individuals yeah. who sort of finally bought the camping car, the RV, and sort of started sort of living their dream of sort of, you know, roaming around Europe, et cetera, et cetera. And what we found was for the ones that we, we actually had conversations with, you know, they would they would wake up in the morning and, and you know, go for a walk over a hike, whatever the case may be. By two in the afternoon, they got their table set up outside the RV with with a glass of wine and they're passed out by four o'clock. Yeah. And taking and, a nap. Right. And and it, you know, hey, you know, congratulations for, for hitting your goal. However, and they're out here doing it. They're not sitting at home on the lazy boy. So that's impressive. However, all you know when we do have these deeper conversations with them they say you know we had these these thoughts that we were going to do more yeah. you know we were going to you know be go 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 and have see more these, energy and see these things that we always envisioned doing and now you know we're just happy to be here with this incredible sunset and the warmth because we live you know previously in 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 the netherlands and it's cold up there and so forth and so on so this is okay this is good enough for us mm. and and the idea is is well you don't have to wait you don't have to expect good enough when it can be actually really great. And I think we listened a lot to these people and outside of them, you know, thinking they were going to be able to physically and mentally do more. Another big takeaway from these people that are older than us and retired and, and experienced a longer life on this planet was that they spent so much time focusing on their work and they wish they would have focused more time and spent more time with their family and as a family. So, like I said before, you have to decide if you want to be with your family that much, you know, first of all. And then what kind of culture and relationship you want to have within your family if you decide to do this. And for us, we really we had the kids because we wanted them and we wanted to spend time with them. And we spent half of their life um one or the other of us not having a lot of time with them. And our time with our daughter was half over when we decided to travel full time and we left the next year. So we were a little more than half over and we realized we couldn't get this time back and they're not going to come travel with us when we're 60 and retired. Yeah. And so this was our path and our choice and it hasn't always been easy. And there have definitely been challenges along the way traveling with children, but it was the best, the best decision we could have ever made. And I'm so happy we did it because we get them for 18 years and I'm not going to guilt them into coming back and spending six months with me because I didn't make use of that time I had with them for the 18 months. And I think just on a side note, I, you know, we're very passionate about this and we had the other life. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, this brings so much more value to their life. Our children are best friends, like best, best friends. People, it's not just me as a mother saying this, people comment all the time. How are they so close? They must never fight. And I'm like, of course they fight. They're siblings, right? And they're together 24 seven. To me, the most, one of the most important relationships a person will ever have is if they have a sibling, that relationship with their sibling. And part of the American culture is this kid's going to the sleeper, this kid's going to the sleepover, this kid plays this sport, this kid's not home for dinner. And that relationship is not built. And that family bond is not built. And travel has given them the gift of this beautiful relationship together and this education of learning out in the world and connected all four of us as a family. So I could sit here and say, you know, I can tell you the couple of things that really suck about it, but overall I can't say that many. Like right. I don't even I don't even believe when people say, well, why would you travel with a three-month-old? They're not going to remember it. Right. But they're going to develop skills of being able to sleep in a different bed. And if they're a little older than three, let's say two, they're going to get their taste buds are going to change and they're going to mm. taste different things they're gonna they're not gonna remember the experience but something inside of them will be changed you know they may be more flexible they may be they may be more, whatever the case may be something will change so i never think that travel is ever wasted on anyone at any age even if you're one step from death you know you can always learn something for it so to go out and take your kids with you has been well, it's been the greatest gift that that we have as a family. Plus, they keep us young too. <laughs> they do they keep do. us young. They <laughs> do. They, you know, there are so many highs and lows of traveling, but it's still like a set of problems that I would, I would vote for over the alternatives. So, 
you know, no matter all of those uncomfortable experiences do turn into good stories and funny stories. And it's like, ah, oh, that one time my sister and my mom and I flipped over in the whitewater raft and we almost drowned, like, <laughs> but we didn't. That's good. Um, but actually my mom and I were in Barcelona once and we were at the Gaudi Park, you know, yeah. like up on the hill. Yeah. And we saw these kids playing around and then they pulled apples out of their pocket. And we were just watching them and we're like thinking the same thing. Like that would not happen in the U.S. First of all, that these kids were just, you know, out playing in this park because like, I don't know, so many kids around are like with the iPhone or whatever, or the iPad. Right, right. And the fact that they were carrying apples with them, like not bags of Cheetos or like Snickers bar, but like right. they had fruit <laughs> with them. And we we're like, wow, that's like. You know, those kind of like little moments when you're traveling where you just have this kind of like, oh, these like differences in the culture and you just see like a glimpse, like a window into their reality. Um, what does it mean to live like a local when you're a foreigner? So for me, it means eating the local food, doing your best to speak the language, try even if you can't, making friends with locals and actually engaging and going out doing cultural events, behaving as if you were born there, even though it's going to be very difficult to do what the locals are doing, but watch what they're doing, study them, read books, watch YouTube videos, whatever you can do, but immerse yourself completely into the environment. Almost forget where you came from, what you typically eat for breakfast. If you typically have bacon and eggs, but you're in France, go have, just have a croissant. That's it. Just go sit at a cafe and have a croissant and watch the people and take all the feeling that you get living like a local and also means respecting the local culture. Right. And that's really, I think, very, very important. Following the local laws, you know, in, in the world of the mask, the non mask thing, you know, you go to a country. If their policy is to wear a mask, wear the damn mask. Mm -hmm. If it's not to wear the mask, then don't wear the mask. But follow the rules. Don't don't particularly as Americans, we feel like. We don't, but we've seen other Americans traveling where they feel like they're in charge and their boss and they will do what they want to do in a country because that's what they do at home. That's not cool traveling. That's not living like a local at all. You need to show a certain level of respect to the country and the culture if you're going to be in their land. It's do you something else to say? Yeah, because um, one, of the, one of the things that I loved and I did not appreciate enough about Costa Rica and Ecuador, and, and I imagine most of South America... And, and I'm going to say this just because it is it is such a thing that you can sort of rely on as a crutch in Europe and in the U.S. and so forth and so on. But it, it's there's no Amazon yeah. anywhere where you cannot sort of click on something and then have something <laughs> delivered to your door three or four days later that resembles something from home is is a good experience. Costa because Rica, we didn't even have a mailing address. Right. Because <laughs> the idea is that you're supposed to live off, you know, what is what is there and what's indigenous. And, and, you know, I listen, I, I love the fact that we're on a boat and we have Amazon here and at the marina. We can get things that because we don't have a car. Boat, and boats need a lot of things. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm, I'm counting my lucky stars that we have it here. However, the moments that we didn't have it, you know, you have to be self-reliant. And those yeah. those things that you're self-reliant upon that are that are that are not sort of Amazon based are sometimes 10 times better because that's where the best experiences come from. I mean, um, even things like, you know, buying the local toothpaste. There's really only a couple of things that we still have people bring from the U.S. when they come, like deodorant, because I have not been able to find good deodorant outside the U.S. <laughs> any place. And I've tried a lot. And now I'm just tired we of trying. We have a lot of options here. We do. We do. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, just trying, you know, stepping outside your comfort zone. I mean, you can do it with baby steps, right? You don't have to jump right in the first day. Like maybe the first day you'll have your croissant instead of your bacon and eggs. And then maybe at lunch, you'll, you know, you'll use your translator and try to speak in French. Yeah. And maybe at dinner, you'll go to a meetup of local runners and you'll go run with some French people and maybe they'll go for a drink after aperitif and you'll have a, you know, a cocktail with them. Like Even if they don't accept you as a local, even if they still see you as a foreigner, still making that genuine effort. Right. Um, not completely abandoning your identity, but you, I mean, you can't do that anyway, even if you wanted to. Right, right. But I like to try to, yeah, to try to live like a local but then also learn more about myself and like who I am as an individual outside of my culture. Yeah. And also as a, a witness to another culture, but also as a participant in it in some way. And so, 
you know, and I think maybe in the pandemic with no tourism, I think people started to realize like locals in each place, how much having people from other countries was even adding to their own culture. That's what I think. But um, I, to- I totally agree. Absolutely. Okay. Um, since you've been to every country in Europe, I wanted to ask you, what is a destination that you weren't necessarily looking forward to, but that you surprisingly loved it? Ukraine. Absolutely. Okay. And what is a country that you were really looking forward to, but when you got there, you felt like maybe you had a too high of expectations or that it was overrated? Czech Republic. Will, did you go over that? No, I think that's good. Okay. Okay. If if you're going to say one country that sort of lived up to the expectation was probably Switzerland, except for it's just tragically expensive. Yes. (laughs) And then what is your go-to internet solution while traveling? <laughs> That's not a it quick varies. one. <laughs> He's an internet guy. Okay, Go so ahead. Lo- I mean, local Sims, essentially. More and more nowadays, um, Google Fi is helping out. There's the only, the only problem I don't like with Google Fi is that you can't use it as a hotspot when you're outside of the United States. Right. And so, but, but besides that, it's, it, you know, Google Fi is great if you're just working off your phone. And often we use redundant systems, so we'll get SIM cards from two different providers so that if one isn't working in a location, the other one hopefully will work so that we never have to, you know, cancel calls with clients or the kids don't have to miss out on school. And that's worked really well for us. Or figure out how to recharge your credit in the middle of a phone call. Right, right. (laughs) Okay. Right. And then my last lightning round question is, what do you love about Morocco? People. People. Yeah. 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 They're really just, they're special. Yeah, the people. Absolutely. Okay. It is. There are many countries that have been very welcoming to us. Morocco is incredibly welcoming. They love Americans. They were the first country to recognize the U.S. as a country. And they're very proud of it. And they're very kind. They're kind to everyone, but they're really kind about talking about their culture and sharing everything with us. And we benefited greatly from it. My friend Eric, the minority nomad, also said Morocco out of all the countries in Africa. That was like one of his favorites. So thank you guys so much for sharing your time with us today. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And people can follow you World Towning on YouTube and worldtowning.com. Anything else? No, we're World Towning on all social media. (laughs) Good. You got the branding down. Well, I'll let you you all go to bed, have your dinner over there. I know it's getting late. Thanks for being here and see you all next week. Thank you so much for having us. It's been awesome. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked this episode, why not leave us a review? Badass Digital Nomads has been downloaded more than 150,000 times around the world, but only 72 people have left reviews. It only takes a minute to leave a review and it really helps other like-minded travelers find the show. You can leave a review wherever you listen or at lovethepodcast.com slash digital nomad for a handy list of links. So to help support the show, head on over to badassdigitalnomads.com slash donate, where you could buy us a coffee, contribute some PayPal, Bitcoin, and more at badassdigitalnomads.com slash donate. Thanks again for spending your day with me today and see you again next week.